we're going to talk about hope in this session. And uh, of these three, of these three virtues, hope is the one we probably talk about the least. And, and I, I think that's because we live such comfortable lives. Like, what do we really have to hope for? You know, it's, it's, we, can, we can pretty much work our circumstances out ourselves for the most part. So we don't talk about hope. We don't have this longing, eager expectation. But um, nonetheless, hope is a really big deal in Christianity. It's, it's a huge deal. And I hope that you can understand a little bit more of why it's so important after this session. But one of the primary teachings of Scripture is that we live in a fallen world. There's something fundamentally broken in this world. The, as you look at the, the story of the Bible, uh, everything starts out good, but it only starts out good for about two chapters. <laughs> and then you hit chapter three and you see this, the fall and, and sin enter the world. And then you just see relationships being wrecked. You see uh, chaos just continue to spiral out of control. You have the first murder. You have people... Um, uh, hating one another. You have the Tower of Babel where technology is used not to honor God but to exalt man and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so one of the realities that not many of us have to be convinced of is that we live in a fallen, broken world. We experience brokenness in a fallen world every day. So there are two ways to respond to the brokenness we experience in the fallen world. Two main ways we're going to respond to it. One option is to live a life of despair. Um, if any of you have taken a philosophy class, I don't think you guys do that. Um, this is what's called nihilism. Nothing matters. You're, it's just apathetic, right? If this is the way the world is. Uh, that's, that's a shame. That's uh, a bummer. And we'll just accept it and kind of move on. Um, guys, this, this whole aspect of despair of seeing no light at the end of the tunnel, of seeing no way out of your circumstance, no restoration to the relationships, no breaking of the chains of addiction. This cycle is something that we experience in our own community. Huff High, we just saw a few weeks ago, had another suicide at Huff High. Despair is a reality that, although you may not be experiencing it or or falling in this category, the people around you are. So if we're people of hope, if Christianity is a message of hope, we have to reach our friends, our community with this message. We cannot afford to let people slip further and further into despair. It's something we have to take seriously. So while one way to respond to the broken world is despair, the other way to respond is to have hope. Say, yes, this world is broken, this world is messed up. I'm broken, I'm messed up, but God... But, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I, ha- I serve a God who raises dead things and makes them alive. I have a God who can transform the most evil into the most good. That's what it looks like to have hope. If you can actually look forward in the brokenness and the mess that you feel and say, there's a future reality that I'm going to wait for that's better than this one. So let's talk about how we embrace the brokenness in our world, the fallen world that we live in, in a way of hope. There's two main passages I'm going to look through, and then we're going to go to some practical stuff. Um, Yeah, you already knew that. Just a reminder, hope is the future reality for which we wait. So um, all things new. You guys ever heard that phrase? Have you ever really thought about that? What that looks like? That all things are going to be made new? 
kind of crazy. But 1 Corinthians 15, in our Bibles here, uh, we'll work through this passage. It's, it's a long passage, but just stick with me. This is the, the first time I read this. I remember I was working at Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and I would take phone calls. And, I, and let me tell you, I would take some of the weirdest phone calls. One person claimed that she was the Pope who um, was raised from the dead and was now a vampire. I had a conversation with this lady, okay? Uh, we, uh, another lady would call. We would pray for, um, I think she, uh, she was like, can you pray for Lucy? And we would pray for Lucy every day. And then one day, like a month into praying for Lucy, we found out Lucy is a cat. So it was just really weird, like, wait, we've been praying for your cat, Lucy? Okay, that's just weird. And so anyway, we'd get all these weird calls. And in between calls, I could read and I could study. Um, so it was a cool job for at one point <laughs> um, until I had to sort through all these crazy calls and stuff. But First um, Corinthians 15, I remember reading this passage in between a call one day and just thinking, wow, I've never heard of the Christian hope described this way. I've never really thought about the end of the story in the way that Paul describes. But let's work through it. Okay, starting in verse 12, um, Paul says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some Christians in Corinth were claiming that there is no resurrection. And Paul's saying, look, if you're claiming there's no resurrection of us, then you're going to affect the understanding of resurrection of, of Jesus. So he continues, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. In, in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. Um, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of a people to be most pitied. Meaning if there's no resurrection, we should be made fun of. We should be mocked. This whole thing is a joke. We should pack up and go home. At least eat the food and maybe, you know, there's free food. But this is a joke if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. So it is, here's one of the things as we look at hope. It is because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in his resurrection that Christians can have hope. The only reason we can have hope and look forward to a future reality and wait for it eagerly, anticipate it, is because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in his resurrection. There's no other reason. It's because of him and what he's done that we can have hope. We'll talk more about that as we move forward. But as we continue, verse 20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits, which is something we don't really talk, like no one talks like that today. Um, when he says he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, he means that Jesus set in motion a new pattern. 
He set in a new way of life, a new way for people who follow him to experience life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead when he fell asleep or died, was placed in the tomb, so too his followers, those who have faith in him, when they fall asleep, they will be raised. So in that sense, Jesus was the first one to experience resurrection so that he can give his followers resurrection. Does that make sense? So Jesus was the first fruits in that. So here's, here's the other thing. Christians look back to the resurrection in order to look forward with hope. So much of our hope is tied to how we remember the gospel and how we look back to Jesus. So then Paul um, continues. All right, oh, well, I have this point. Jesus is the first fruit setting in motion something that will happen to his children, those who have faith in him. He's setting forth a new pattern that you're supposed to experience as a follower of Jesus. You're supposed to experience death, burial, resurrection the same way Jesus did. That's what's happening. So then Paul continues. He says, then comes the end. Jesus is the first fruit. He's setting in motion this whole thing for believers. Then comes the end when Jesus... Pay attention here. He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying destroying every rule and every authority and power. For Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Then the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. He's just saying that Jesus is accepted in that. When all things are subjected to Jesus, when all things bow to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So Paul closes this explanation of the Christian hope by talking about the end. Is anyone here like crazy about the end times? Anyone got the charts? Oh, Haley Hicks's? Oh, how do we not know this? How do we not know this? Every day? It's like a... <laughs> no! Um, you know, there's people that have the charts and they talk about the rapture. There's the Left Behind movies, which should definitely be Left Behind. Don't watch the Left Behind movies. Who? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage? Oh, that's the new one. I'm talking about the Kirk Cameron yeah. Huh, huh. Nicholas Cage, when did that come out? Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Oh, worse than the originals. That's crazy. But anyway, so a lot of a lot of the talk, a lot of the talk around the end times usually has to do with the rapture and these charts and this millennium and all this stuff. And this is simply what Paul says here in this passage. He says Jesus is going to subject all things under his lordship, meaning everything is going to be subject to Jesus' lordship. They're going to be made new, and then Jesus is going to hand that over to the Father, and the Father is then going to make it so that he is all in all. In, In other words, there is a full restoration of creation under the lordship of Jesus for the glory of God. That's the end game. That is where we are headed That's what Jesus set in motion when he came, lived, died, and rose again. He set in motion the restoration of all creation under his lordship for the glory of God. So, as Christians, our hope is in the full renewal of creation 
under the lordship of Jesus for the glory of God. That is our hope. Your hope is not simply that you get to go into heaven and there are pearly gates and all this stuff. Your hope as a Christian is that all things will be fully restored under the lordship of Jesus for the glory of God. That is our hope. That is what we, we wait for, we long for. We long for that, that day, when all things will be resolved, renewed, restored under the lordship of Jesus for his glory. This is the message of hope that the gospel provides. This is the message of hope. The fallen and broken world that we now experience will be fully restored under the lordship of Jesus. And God will be all in all. He'll be glorified in all of it. This is what Jesus set in motion through his perfect life, atoning death and resurrection. So that's what we look forward to. Now, that is all of creation, right? All things are going to be made right. How does that pertain to us? So if all things are going to be made new, what, is, what does that have to do with me, right? And that's where Paul talks in Romans 8. Romans 8, he talks about um, the same thing. He says, he considers that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen, the brokenness you feel, the horrible loneliness that you can't run away from, the addiction you can't break, the sin you keep struggling, it's not even, that fight is not even worth the glory that you're going to have one day. The glory that you will have one day will make that look like a speck that wasn't even worth your time or efforts. It wasn't worth your tears. It wasn't worth anything that caused you to feel the way you feel because that glory that you're looking forward to, it's so much greater. So if you're struggling, you're struggling today, know that the, the message of hope in the gospel is that you have a lot more to look forward to. And it's going to be awesome. You can't even compare to the glory you're going to experience in the gospel. That's what Jesus offers us. A glory that cannot be revealed to the suffering that you have right now. For the creation, he continues, the creation, not only us, but the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation itself was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So not, so, um, uh, did I skip that? I totally messed that up. But we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, so, in the same way 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the restoration of creation, he's talking here, Paul is saying that the, the creation is, is subjected to like a slavery, to a bondage to, to being corrupted, and that's going to be set free. So we know that the whole creation will be set free free from its bondage to corruption, similar to 1 Corinthians 15. But then he continues. I'll write that down, I guess. All of creation will be set free from the bondage of it, its corruption, and it will be renewed. All of creation. But then Paul continues. It says, not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So not only creation, but we will be made new and restored under the lordship of Jesus. 
Not only the brokenness you see and experience around you, but the brokenness you experience within you will be restored through Jesus Christ. That is our hope. So we will experience our full adoption into the family of God and the redemption of our bodies. Paul says that's our hope, this hope of complete renewal. That's the hope you were saved into. That's the hope you were saved into. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the story that you're living out right now. You're living out a story of renewal, of restoration, and the end of that is glory. This is the end game for you. So you have not been merely saved to know about Jesus, to believe the right things about Jesus. You have not merely been saved so that you can go to worship services, have a happy life. You've been saved by the grace of God so that he can make you new and restore you. That's why he saved you. Saved you to make you new and restore you. God saved you to change you to be more like Christ for his glory. God saved you to change you, to free you, to do something to you so that you could be more and more like Jesus for his glory. Now, one practical thing I think we must take from this. Read again verses 24 and 25, if I have them up there. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, right? We've talked about this a little bit. But who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is so important. Paul says that you do not get to see your hope. In other words, even though you are a follower of Jesus, you do not get to experience the full restoration of Jesus today. You don't get to see that hope. You are not fully renewed today. You still battle sin. You still struggle with your brokenness and the fallenness we live in. And if you didn't struggle, hear me, if you didn't struggle, then you wouldn't have hope. It's because of the struggle you're experiencing. It's because of the battle you have to wage every day against your sin and your flesh and your selfishness that you have hope. If we were there, if we could see our hope, our full restoration today, then we wouldn't have to have hope. Right? So, so hope is so important. It's so important because it tells you that God's not done with you yet. That you're in a process. That you can be honest and vulnerable. That God's not done with you yet. So don't be discouraged by your sin, necessarily. Don't be discouraged that you just cannot get this thorn out of your side in the way that Paul would say it. Be encouraged that you have a hope. That if you're a follower of Jesus you will be brought to be just like Jesus. So although we have been declared righteous in in the sight of God, Jesus has said it is finished. God is not done with us. He's still working in and through us. We are not yet perfect. We are in the middle of a process of renewal. It isn't discouraging because the struggle reveals that God is at work. That God is not done with us yet. God's not done with us yet. That's so important, guys. As you seek to minister to one another, not to throw discouragement, not to throw judgment on one another, but to say, hey, God's not done with us yet. We can struggle together. We have a hope. We can work towards that together. Don't be afraid to call sin, sin, and to admit your struggles because God's not done with you yet. 
The struggle reveals that God is at work. And if God is at work in you today, then that means he has set you on a path that will end with full restoration. If God's working on you today to be made just like Jesus, then he set you on a path where you will be fully restored in Jesus. So the fact that you struggle in your Christian walk today should lead you to have hope that God will make you fully new. As you skip down in Romans 8, you read these famous verses. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about this whole process of restoration here. That's the context of these verses. He's saying all things will be brought together to be full. You will be fully restored in Christ for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Read, that's what he's talking about, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So if God has called you, if you've experienced the calling of God and you say you are justified as Jesus, you will be glorified. You will be glorified. That is your hope. You are being brought along into a process where you will be glorified. That should, be, that should stir in you a great hope. Like God's going to fully make me new. If you are a child of God who's been justified, that means he will lead you to be glorified. You can be confident that through Jesus... The same God that called you, the same God that chose you before the foundation of the world said, you are my child, you are mine. The God who called you out and justified you will bring you to glory. That same God will do that. Not one person falls through his grip. Not one person who he calls and comes to faith in Jesus Christ falls through the gaps. It's amazing hope that we have, guys. No other hope can compare to that. There's no worldly hope that can promise you what the gospel promises you in Jesus. So before we conclude, I want to give you four practical applications for you all concerning our hope. How do we continually live our lives as Christians with this hope? Practical application number one, identify what is your hope. What is your hope? What is it that you're looking forward to with anticipation? Or what are you um, simply, or what are you eager for? Is it this? Is the gospel hope really what you're looking forward to? Do you simply just want that nice, comfortable, successful life? Do you just want to be the next big athlete? Do you want to have a million followers on Instagram? And like, is that, is, is that your hope? Is that what you wait for, you long for? The great tragedy for us is not that these visions of the future are necessarily bad. In fact, they are for the most part good things that we can anticipate with joy. However, the tragedy is that Christians are called to hope in so much more. You're called to hope for so much more. Listen, there, there are people here in, in America, Christians, who their biggest hope is just to have a big church. That's their biggest hope. Their biggest hope is that they uh, have a Christian president. That's their biggest hope. Their their biggest hope is that uh, our nation would have Christian values. That's not the hope we have. Our hope is so much better than that. Our hope is that through the gospel, Jesus Christ would make people new for his glory. That's our hope. 
So identify whether or not that's your hope. Christian hope is different. It's full of life. It's an unshakable promise more than any worldly hope or set of circumstances can match. Such a hope will transform our life and set us on a path to live with courage and confidence and joy. Number two, ground your hope in the resurrected Jesus. Once you've identified what your true hope is, whatever it is that you are living your life towards, we need to realign that hope with the gospel. So we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Christian hope has a real, actual, and historical foundation in the work of Jesus. Christians do not simply exercise wishful thinking based on fuzzy feelings or some vision of the good life. Christians have a hope that is grounded in the truth. And the truth does not disappear. The truth that Jesus Christ, God himself, took on the form of a man, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and rose again three days later, that's what gives us grounds to hope. Because Jesus did that, because of the gospel truth, we can have confidence that God will do the same for us as followers of Jesus. So we look back. We look back so that we can look forward. That's why we gather That's why we take things like communion. That's why baptism, it's buried with Christ, risen to newness of life. We see this picture of remembering the gospel so we can look forward, right? We put all these items in our life so we can remember the gospel, so we can move forward. So when you're overwhelmed with feelings that lead into despair, we can return to a firm foundation in the truth of the gospel. We don't need to rely on happy experiences, or pleasurable circumstances to provide us with hope because our hope is found in the truth. So number three, persevere by reminding yourself of our faithful God. It's very similar to the last one. But guys, here's, here's the thing. You're going to struggle. You're going to need to persevere. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad weeks. You might have bad months or years. But you can persevere Not because you're awesome, not because you're able, because our God is faithful. He is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. You'll go through those seasons, you'll feel like the world's crashing down, and some of us will experience that more than others. Some will experience something we can call depression, and it's crippling. The writer of Hebrews says that we need to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering and we can do that not because we're strong but because God is faithful. God is faithful. Not, he's not saying your circumstances will get better so keep your head up. He's saying God is faithful. And until you understand that God is faithful he will, and that he will bring you through ultimately you're never going to be able to hold fast to your confession. So it's not, our hope's not simply optimism. It's hope in God himself. And our God does not fail. Our God is faithful. He's holding you in his hand. He's not let you go. He's not given up on you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not want, you're not wandering. God hasn't lost you. Even if you are in this room today struggling with sin, God has not lost you. He's not let you go. 
Even if you're in a situation, you don't see a way out. God's not lost you because God's faithful. Your circumstances are a bummer. I bet they hurt, but God's not lost you. Lastly, work out your hope through faith. Work out your hope through faith. As we've mentioned in the previous sessions, faith is the substance of our hope. So faith takes what our hope is that will be fully restored along with all creation under the lordship of Jesus for God's glory. And faith takes that future reality and he puts it in the present today. That's what faith does. It says, I'm going to live like that's my end today. That's what faith is. Faith takes that and, and, and it starts working that renewal in your life today. This means that the, the renewal that you and creation will experience for the glory of God is something that you should be working out in your life today. So we know that this act of waiting, of hoping, it's not passive. It's not like waiting at a doctor's office or waiting at an amusement park. It's not the type of waiting we're talking about. We're talking about a waiting that's at work, a waiting that's active, a waiting that's saying, that's my, that's my end game, so I'm going to work towards that because that's where I know I'm headed. I'm headed that direction. So faith says, that's the direction I'm headed. I'm going to walk that way. That's what our Christian life should look like. We should bring our life further under the lordship of Jesus today so that we can be made to be more and more like him for his glory. That's how we work out our hope through faith. So in what areas in your life today can you live like you in the world not just you, the world are on a path to be restored for the glory of God. What areas in your life can you say, this is the direction I'm headed, so I'm going to work out restoration? That is a challenge for us all. As the band uh, comes up, that's what I want you to think about for these next few moments. As you think about the resurrected king who's resurrecting you? What areas of life does God's restoration and renewal and resurrection need to be played out? Is it at home? Is it in school? Is it in this room? Are Are there people in this room that you're bitter against and you don't want to work out? Is that a reality? Is that something that you're dealing with? Because God says... The restoration needs to happen because that's the direction it's going. If you're brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and that that healing needs to take place, deal with it right now. If there are people in your life that you know are far from God and you are just going to keep it that way, lift them up in prayer right now. Say, God, create in me opportunities where I can bring the Lordship of Jesus into their life.